And our final reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Hear the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Join me in prayer as we approach the word of God together this morning. Holy Father, we give you thanks for your word that comes, that your word that, that stands forever, for your word that breathes life into our dead bones, into our souls. I pray that you would use your word this morning to breathe life into our lives that you would strengthen our faith, that you'd help us to behold you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So many, many of you have met our beloved dog, Puff. He's named Puff because he's large and puffy. He's a 100-plus pound uh, Rottweiler, and uh, he has a mean bark. He stands on our porch and he patrols our grounds with this lion-like uh, ability to, to scare off anybody who tries to come to our door. You know, most UPS drivers actually end up just leaving packages at the foot of our stairs because they get so scared of him. In fact, just uh, the other week, I saw a new UPS driver start to walk towards our door and his eyes got really big. He froze for a second and then he threw our package under our lawn and ran away. And uh, he's a scary-looking dog, uh, for those who don't know him. But yes, for those who've gotten to know Puff, he's actually one of the most gentle uh, dogs you could ever meet. He's kind. Everyone likes him because he's so kind and gentle. As as intimidating and fear-producing as he looks, he's actually the one who gets easily scared. He gets easily afraid. For instance, he's definitely afraid of guns. Not just real ones, that, that fear kind of makes sense, guns can kill you, but like fake ones, like Nerf guns. When the kids start playing with Nerf guns even, he gets scared and he runs and he hides. It's his greatest fear, even though it's irrational and silly from our perspective, Puff cowers. It is his greatest fear. And throughout the passage that I read this morning, the question that rings out for us, for you, for me, is what are you most afraid of? And could it be 
that from God's perspective, our greatest fears are as misplaced as Puff being afraid of a Nerf gun. As one uh, Reverend Robert Cunningham puts it, could it be that the things that we're afraid of the most, we shouldn't be afraid of at all? Could it be that our fears are actually misplaced and misguided? Think about, for instance, our context here where the disciples had just been sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in his teachings on the kingdom of God, which are some of the most profound parables that Jesus tells are about the kingdom of God. They've just been sitting in that with him, hearing these parables of the kingdom of God, this amazing teaching. They must have been pumped up knowing that their work would work, knowing that their mission would not fail. I mean, think about the profound confidence they would have. We love doing things that we know won't fail, don't we? It would have given them incredible confidence for the work that's before him. They must have thought that nothing could stop us. And just after that moment happened, just after they received this amazing teaching of the kingdom, what happens? They're led under the Sea of Galilee. A fierce storm comes their way, and their confidence fades. It shrinks. And now they're worried that they're going to die. They're, they're, they're terrified for their lives. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus, on the heels of this teaching, bring them into this fierce storm to face their doom? Why would he do this? And the storm that they're talking about here in this passage is not just an everyday trial kind of storm. It's not just a, a, a fight with a spouse or a hard day at work. It's a, it's a great storm. In the text here, it's actually a mega storm. It's facing your greatest fears kind of storm. As we consider facing great fears, I know some in this room are likely facing or in the middle of this kind of storm right now. You're in the midst of it fighting for your life. And the rest of us have either come out of something like this or one day we're going to enter back into one. And from our perspective, when we think about these great storms, having to face our greatest fears, from the disciples' perspective and our perspective, we can't help but ask why. Right? Why would Jesus do this to us? Don't you care about us, Jesus? What, what was all that kingdom talk about if you're just going to let us die? What's the point of all this? I thought good kings protected their people. Don't good kingdoms stand the test of time? And the answer to these questions we find in this text, and we're going to find these answers are both comforting and unsettling. The answer to this question of why God brings us into the storms is both comforting and, and unsettling. And Because as the disciples are being brought into the storm this morning, we are brought face to face with the great storms of our own lives. We're, we're brought face to face with our greatest fears. So the question is this, why does Jesus lead his people? Why does he lead us into these great storms, into our great nightmares? And there's three answers this morning from this text that I think will give us profound hope and confidence in the Lord. And the first is this, that Jesus leads the disciples into a storm to face their greatest fears. Jesus leads the disciples into a storm to face their greatest fear. At first, that kind of sounds rather counterintuitive, that the very purpose of leading them into the storm is that they face their great fears. But this is actually what we find here. And what are the, what are the disciples afraid of? What we find they're afraid of dying. Look with me back at verse 35 to 37. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. 
And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They were afraid that they were about to die. And the thing you got to understand about the disciples is they are skilled and experienced fishermen. They're not novices. They likely did not scare easily out in the middle of a storm. But remember, this is a different kind of storm. This is a, a mega storm, one that made them fear for their lives. It's not an ordinary, everyday windstorm that they encountered. This isn't a cloudy day kind of problem. This is a, I'm facing my worst fears. I'm at the end of myself kind of problem. We find the boats filling with water. It's about to sink. They're afraid for their lives. What's interesting is as they are experiencing this great fear, the greatest terror that they could imagine, as they are experiencing this, where do we find Jesus? In verse 38, we find him in the, in the boat, taking a nap. Verse 38 tells us that Jesus is sleeping. They're freaking out, thinking that they're about to die, thinking that all is lost, thinking that the mission, the kingdom Jesus was speaking about is all over. All this good stuff is all going to crumble to the ground. And where do we find Jesus is sleeping? At a time like this, Jesus, really, you're going to be sleeping? And one of the things that this teaches us is that Jesus does not fear the things that we fear. Jesus does not fear the things that we fear. Again, Robert Cunningham points out that there's two ways that we can interpret this kind of thing. Jesus is sleeping. The first way that we can interpret this situation is that Jesus is indifferent to their pain and suffering. And this is how the disciples interpret Jesus is sleeping when they say, do you not care that we're suffering? Jesus, we're dying here and you're sleeping? Oftentimes, isn't this what we wonder when we face our worst fears? When the, whatever we can imagine is the worst thing that could happen to us, don't we, don't we wonder if Jesus, if God is indifferent to us? We wonder where he is. We wonder why he is silent. We wonder if he is there at all. Of course, the other option could be that our greatest fear just isn't a fear to Jesus. This is not to minimize our pain or to minimize the real struggles that we have but that our greatest fears are so low on the worry spectrum of God that he can actually sleep through them. And as strange as this sounds to our ears, perhaps this is actually comforting and reassuring to us that Jesus is not like you and I. He is not afraid like we are afraid. Our greatest fears are no problem for him. He isn't anxious about our problems, wondering, what am I going to do here? I never thought about this problem before. Because he's sovereign. He is over all. He is in control. Even when the world seems out of control, our God never grows anxious with the problems of the world. Also, perhaps the silent God, as Psalm 11 puts it, uh, that his eyelids test the children of man Maybe he closes his eyelids or not, not a sign of his not caring. But he does this because he actually knows that you're going to be okay. He actually knows that you will make it through. He knows that even if your worst nightmare comes true, you will make it through. How can we say this? Because he is in the boat with you. He is with you. You know, the command that you find actually the most in Scripture is this. Fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Constantly throughout scripture, God tells his people, fear not, because I am with you. 
And he is the one that's actually leading us into these things, into the storms, to face our work night- nightmares because he's cruel. No, to actually show us that we do not need to be afraid because he is with us. His act of sleeping actually shows us that this isn't even worth him waking up over. Not that he doesn't care, but that he doesn't fear it like we fear it. And so Jesus first leads us into the storm to face our great fears. And in this, we discover that it's comforting because he is actually with us. And he isn't worried like we are worried. I remember one time I was hiking with some friends and we got lost in the woods. I have a lot of stories about getting lost in the woods. Um, I, I maybe have told some of them before, but I haven't told this one before. Um, so you don't want to go hiking if I'm the one leading us into the woods. Uh, but, this, but I was with somebody who happened to be a former army ranger, and he happened to know the woods like the back of his hand. And so because I was with him, even though we're in the middle of the forest and it was starting to get dark, I wasn't afraid. Because of my own skill set? No, I actually I knew nothing about what I would have led us to certain doom. But because I was with someone who understood what was happening. He understood the circumstance. He understood uh, how to get out. And spoiler alert, we actually made it. So uh, you don't have to worry about me. I, I made it out okay. But it was because of who I was with in the midst of being lost that I was okay. And that's what makes us comforting because he isn't worried like we are worried. This in turn helps us to not be afraid either. But this begs the question, why does Jesus want, our, want us to face our greatest fears Anyways, wouldn't it be easier if we just didn't have to face our greatest fears at all? Why is it so important for him to lead us into these storms? And this leads us to the second answer to the why question, and it's this. That Jesus leads the disciples into the storm to show us his power over them. Jesus leads the disciples into the storm to show us his power over them. So God brings us into great storms to face our greatest nightmares to actually show us that he is more powerful than them. And in this, it teaches us that we don't need to fear them. Look at verse 39 again. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. It's an amazing picture of Jesus calming the storm, and then we find this mega storm becoming a great or a mega calm. Our suffering will end. Our storms will end. One day we will suffer no more. One day we will experience peace like we can only imagine. This doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trials in your life. But Jesus is showing the disciples here what their life will be like. The disciples indeed did suffer. The disciples did die gruesome deaths. But our affliction on this side of eternity is momentary. It's not the thing that lasts forever. And so Jesus shows his disciples with two commands, two imperatives. He calms the storm. Peace, be still. It's two words in in the storm. This mega storm is reduced to nothing. Jesus leads us into these storms to actually show us that if we are with him, we don't need to be afraid because he has power over them. If we are with Jesus, we need not fear the storm because he has power over them. Although the inquisitive mind might still wonder, but why then doesn't he just stop the storm before it comes? Why not just stop the pain? 
Verse 40, we get a hint to this answer. And he said to them, turning to the disciples, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? After all you've seen and heard from me, Jesus is saying, after all I've shown you, after seeing me have power over physical ailments, over the demonic realm, power over the law even, you still don't see who I am? You still don't believe who I am? So why does God bring us into the storms? To show us he has power over them and also to build our faith. And here's the challenge for us in this is what do you believe? What will you believe? Will you believe Jesus when you face storms or will you believe the deepest fears that plague you? And so Jesus is drawing his disciples, he's drawing us out so that we might learn to have faith. It's one thing to say, I trust that boat's seaworthy. It's another thing to take that boat actually into the sea. Jesus is saying to them, come, you can trust me. My comfort, my presence, my love is greater than your greatest fear. Your greatest fear doesn't even wake me from my nap with two words. I have made your greatest fear silent. Which can sound easy to say when you're not in the middle of a storm, when you're not living your nightmare. For those who are in it right now, it's hard. It's hard to believe when everything around you says this is the worst thing that could happen to us. How do we not fear that? Faith. Faith that what Jesus says about our suffering is true. Faith that it's not eternal, that our suffering's temporary, that life with him, his peace, peace with him is actually the eternal thing. Where one day your afflictions will be no more, where you won't even remember what a nightmare is because it will be so foreign to you. Do you believe this? Do you have faith in this truth? That Jesus leads us into the storms to actually grow our faith. To show us his peace is greater than the, than the storm. The, the power of his words to create all things are actually with you, keeping you. And the truth is we can't actually often find that this is true until we've experienced it. Until you've been forced to have your faith grow in the midst of a storm. As painful as it is, it just doesn't grow outside the storm. Like it does inside. And it's at this point where the story actually takes a bit of an unusual turn. We have this mega storm. Fearful disciples come to Jesus. Jesus calms the storm. Sounds good. Looks like a nice bow on it. Have faith. Good. But there's actually one more mega great thing that happens in this text. Which leads us to our, our third answer to this question of why. And it's this. That Jesus leads us into the storm that we might see who he is. Jesus leads us into the storm that we might see who he is. Right? The disciples have seen Jesus do miracles before. This wasn't new. And they were just as wondrous as calming the sea. In fact, maybe some of the miracles he performed were even more wondrous than calming the sea. And yet it was only when they feared for their lives, when they were at the end of themselves, that they actually could finally see him. That they could finally see his work. Right? When they felt their desperation... They could finally ask the right question, which is exactly what we find the disciples doing here in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this man? 
Even the nature obeys him. Who is this man? They could finally begin to see. Isn't this true in our own lives? It's often not until we experience mega storms that we learn that God is actually greater than them. That he is actually near in the midst of them. That he is the God who he said he was. Isn't it true that it isn't until we are desperate that we can actually see God's power at work? And so their fear of the storm for their lives turns into a different kind of fear here. Literally, it reads, and they feared a great fear, which I like how the NIV translated as one word, is they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. This is the part of the storm narrative that's a little unsettling for us. This is where I'm going to borrow from the overused line from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe when the children ask the beaver if, if Aslan is safe, and the beaver says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. Disciples are experiencing the not safe part of Jesus. They're terrified of him. I know this sounds so strange and so foreign to our ears. But what they're coming into contact with is just pure and raw holiness. They're seeing his deity on display, his creative acts on display. And at the beginning of this section of scripture in chapter 4, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6. Well, something else that happens in Isaiah 6 other than what Jesus quotes is, Jesus, is Isaiah actually comes before God. He's in his presence. And what is his response to being in the presence of God? He says, woe is me. And he falls on his face. He's completely undone in his presence. The holiness of God, his otherness, his perfection, his beauty was so, is so beyond us that it's the right thing for us to fear it. It's the only thing that actually has true power to destroy and to create, to build and tear down. So if you're going to fear something, Fear God. Fear Jesus. Again, this sounds so strange to us, but I think it's because we don't actually understand what fear is. But fear is reverence. Fear is respect. Fear is knowing that you're not in control. And so the reason why you don't need to fear your greatest fear, whether it's death, financial ruin, or whatever it might be, is because Jesus is actually lowered over all those things. He is the one that demands our reverence and respect and awe. He is the one that every knee will one day bow before. He is the king. He is Yahweh. The disciples are just now finally seeing this in a new way, in a new light. They're coming to recognize that they have come before God in the flesh. They're seeing that they've come before God. Jesus is not a regular man. He is the God man. He's come into this world to actually save us from our great fears. And in order to save us so we don't need to be afraid of things like death, he actually drinks the cup of our greatest fears on the cross. We're going to read this in its entirety on Good Friday, but Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus has come into this world. In order to endure our sorrows, endure our sin, 
enduring our pain, enduring the effects of the fall and our separation from God so that we can be united to the triune God once again, so that in him we can have life. We are right to fear this kind of power, to be in awe, because it isn't something that we have earned. We are the ones that actually have gone astray like sheep. We have joined the accuser in our accusations against Jesus. Do you not care? What we find is he cares more than we can imagine. Do you not care? Yes, he cares. He stepped from his throne in heaven to be born a man that he might bear the sins of the world. Yes, he cares more than you could know. Does he not care? Yes, he cares. He he doesn't send you into a storm that he hasn't already endured. He doesn't send you into trials without his own presence. And even when we ask the question, do you not care, God? He is patient with us. He is patient with our questions. But in this, we learn that he actually doesn't have to be. But he is because he loves us. He loves his children. And his patience with us comes with a price. And it's by his own wounds, by his own death, that we can experience that kind of peace. So he hasn't come to just rescue them from physical death, but from a spiritual death. He cares more than they could ever know about their perishing. And it's only through the storm that they're finally able to get a glimpse of this truth. So the questions turn to us again then. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest nightmare? Maybe it's the loss of a spouse or a child. The infertility of a spouse. Never finding a spouse or conceiving a child. Cancer, financial ruin, whatever your worst nightmare might be. Some of you might be living it right now. For some of you, just getting out of bed every day is facing your, your worst nightmare. Others of us have survived it, and, and yet others of us, it's on the horizon. Do you have faith that Christ is with you, no matter what comes? That he actually won't depart from you, and that even if your worst fears come to pass, that you still have peace with God? There is no greater hope, no greater comfort, no greater antidote to our fears of this world than the right fear of God, knowing who he is, beholding him, and that that God that we are right to be fearful of invites us into his presence. He calls us his sons and his daughters. He is with you. The God who created all things, sustains all things, and holds all things together is with you in your pain, in your trials. And if you are here and you have trusted in Christ, I can't promise that harm won't come for you. But I I can't promise you a, a happy marriage or an easy life. In fact, I said earlier, all the disciples one day actually faced their greatest fears as they died gruesome deaths, but they learned not to fear these things because Jesus taught them that he is greater than their fears. And one thing I can promise you is eternal peace with God. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal peace with him. The storm of his holiness has been appeased. The storm has been calmed. And the reason we can go through storms is because it is truly well with our souls. Maybe rest in this peace. May we walk into the storms and not be afraid because Christ is with us. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father, I pray that you would encourage each one of us where we are. 
that each one of us would know the profound truth that you are with us, that even when all hope seems lost, even when it feels like we've been abandoned, you are with us, holding us together. May you give us a profound courage and hope and joy that come only from us knowing you. Give us faith to believe. Give us eyes to see. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.